This episode of YXE Underground is supported by Rob Romvi and his team at Romvi Wealth Management Group of RBC Dominion Securities in North Battleford. If you're looking for someone to manage your money, you should meet Rob Romvi. It's a lot about helping people to work to understand that sometimes survival is actually more than we think that it is. Sometimes survival is not just good enough, but literally all that we need to be doing. And that in itself is rewarding to survive through something like this. Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Samantha Horswell. Samantha, along with Colleen McBride, are the featured guests in Season 3, Episode 6 of YXE Underground. We are quickly approaching one year of COVID-19 in Saskatoon, and the pandemic has changed our lives in so many different ways. In this episode, we're focusing on the mental health challenges our community has faced and is currently dealing with due to the pandemic, and what can be done to help one another overcome these challenges. Thanks for joining me here on YXE Underground. doing? It's a question I've asked people a lot throughout this past year and it's one that has been asked plenty of times to me as well. I think we genuinely want to know how our friends and family, our neighbors and co-workers, the, the strangers we walk by on the Mewasan Trail or, or maybe meet in line at the grocery store, we want to know how you are doing. And I think that's because we all recognize that we're all going through something that's really hard and difficult. There have been lots of stories relating to mental health told throughout the pandemic, and for a while, I was trying to figure out an original way to tell one on this podcast. In December, I found that way thanks to an email from Samantha Horswell. Samantha is a registered doctoral psychologist here in Saskatoon and a fan of the podcast. She pitched the idea of talking about the mental health challenges our community is facing due to the pandemic, and I loved her pitch. I also wanted to include Colleen McBride in the episode. You might remember Colleen from a season one episode we did focusing on the resources available to those undergoing cancer treatments. Colleen is a registered social worker, a counselor, and one of the most genuine people you will meet. I asked Samantha and Colleen if they would be willing to meet and record a conversation focusing on mental health here in Saskatoon. I am very grateful that they said yes because as you are about to hear, they are full of wisdom and insight. In the first part of our conversation, we discuss the trauma that comes with COVID-19 and our struggles to sometimes cope with change. We met at a restaurant on Broadway, and I started by asking Samantha what she is seeing in her clients as we get closer to one year of the pandemic. I think what I'm seeing the most in my practice is the the nuclear family support, which I really love. Um, I think people are, Saskatchewan is such a family-oriented province in the first place, and I think in a pandemic that's a beautiful thing when you might not be able to see your family in the way that you're used to, but I've heard stories of family dropping off meals for family who are isolated um, in the summer, helping out with yard work, making sure that you could social distance in parks, and calling people and videoing with people in a way that we never used to do. We never, we used to be able to check up on each other in person, but so many people have carried that tradition on even in the pandemic. Um, which is good because there are a lot of people who live by themselves and to have family, you know, dropping off dinner or going for a walk in the park with you, um, that family support has been really beautiful to watch. 
Um, yeah, so I'd say that's kind of mo what I hear the most of from my clients anyways. Colleen, anything you want to piggyback off of that? Well, I think those are all true um, examples. I guess the thing I think that kind of comes up a little bit with accessing support in Saskatchewan is that we have such big distances between. And so in the province, it's hard when lots of people have family in different communities. And so there's a bit of a concern about how to spend time or to access time together that way. And then if you are removed or in rural, how to get into appointments. And I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, people saying like, yeah, it's really tricky because I have to come in for some medical appointments, which is okay because I know, right, that that's gonna happen. That'll be organized in a way that I can do that. But like, where am I gonna go to the bathroom in the day? Or how am I gonna, you know, I can pack my own food, but then what happens when I need to do something where we didn't really, at that time, didn't have as much, really, really know how we were gonna do those, yeah, those big long day trips that people from outside of the urban centers have to do in order to get to some resources and some appointments that they need. So I remember that being really interesting to me um, because at that time, right, we weren't letting, you know, there's only so many people allowed to come into an appointment or into a building or you couldn't just, you didn't really know for sure if it was safe to just pop into the washroom at a gas station. Um, so that, I remember that being like an interesting piece. So to, there's, you know, Saskatoon as a whole, I completely agree with Samantha, has really rallied and has a community. I think all of our communities in Saskatchewan have a bit of, like have that um, element to them or those relationships to them. But then it was like, how do we actually function as a whole, as a province and stay connected? Oh, that's, that's an interesting point. Um, I, I'm just thinking of like my, my wife's family lives in rural Saskatchewan, um, just outside of, of Lancer in the southwest part of the province. And, you know, th this was the, this Christmas was the first time in a, in a long, long time that we did not go there. And, and so you're, you're right. It's one thing to have that sort of tight-knit community, but it's, it's another to connect with others throughout the province, isn't it? Well, and I think that highlights the big conflict here, right? Especially as winter comes in, the, the downside to our province is how harsh winter can be. Um, like for me, I'm, I'm in Saskatchewan, but all my family's in BC, so it's not as much of a conflict actually. I, I feel actually sad not to see them, but less conflicted overall. There's no temptation to see family. I'm not gonna hop on a plane. We have to do Zoom. But when you're a three hour drive from everyone you love, but it's winter and nobody wants to be outside, and where do you go to the bathroom when you get there? You know, the, it becomes, I think for a lot of people, what feels like all or nothing. Either we can't see anybody at all, or we have to break the rules in order to do it. And I think it puts people in a really difficult position because you feel like you could never get COVID from your family. And unfortunately, that's the hardest time when it happens, right? Big conflict there. All or nothing. That's that's so true though, isn't it? In the in this in these last 10 months. Yeah, those double binds, right? Where we have two competing values puts people into a really awkward position of not knowing which to lean into and which to say no to. Because I think for humans, whether you know we think of it this way or not, we really there is a sense of belonging that's so important. Are are these the types of of, of questions that that you have been both of you have been receiving lots throughout the 
the last 10 months you're nodding your heads, yeah. Well, I would say people don't necessarily come in saying, I'm feeling really conflicted with which value to choose. <laughs> right? Oh, I, I walked right into that one, didn't I, Colleen? Yeah. Or there's, you know, I, I'm like caught in this all or nothing trap. But, but I think it's what, you know, what we hear and we see as we listen to the stories and we, we kind of understand how, you know, families patterns work in different for different people and kind of expectations and you start um, kind of untethering all of those threads and I think that's when that is what we're hearing but we're hearing it in different ways yeah and I would say it's a big focus of trauma work in particular which is my area of a specialty is when you go through something very intense in your life a common reaction is to become very black and white all or nothing on the other side of it um, and so it's something that the clients I had before the pandemic, it was something I was already primed to pay attention to because that's so much of what therapy can be there. But, but to hear people who are coming in for the first time after the pandemic started to deal with this stress, almost talking in the same ways as my trauma clients do really highlights how stressful this whole thing is for people. You know, this is a, a deeply upsetting experience to have that values conflict, to have that, that what feels like an impossible choice and to be grappling with that, it really like challenges our sense of who we are in those moments. That's that's so interesting because um, there there have been times throughout the last ten months for myself where I I I struggle sometimes with with perspective because um, sometimes I think oh gosh like this this is so hard and this sucks and I haven't personally I haven't seen my my parents live in Winnipeg so I haven't seen them since. It's been a year now, and my sister lives in Toronto, and it's been, I think, 17, 18 months since I've seen her. But then I think to myself, there are people that have it harder than me, so what right do I have to feel sort of sorry for that? But is, is perspective hard in something like this? Well, I think we end up really noticing our own perspective, which is valid and true, right? Um, you know, Samantha talking about trauma, and really that lies pretty deep in ourselves when it comes to survival, right? That's that's the whole purpose of, you know, how trauma kind of exists in us is that something didn't get a need met the way it was wanting or needing. Um, so I often think of like when, say in a parade, right, and how horses, you know, we put those blinders on them for a reason so that they're not distracted and startled by, you know, things in their peripheral. but. The thing that can sometimes happen is as our world feels like it's tightening in, like as our bodies and our nervous system starts to get um, threatened, we can start to tighten in and then we don't actually see what's available to us or we can have the opposite impact where we kind of open up too much. So, you know, sometimes I explain it kind of like we kind of flip <laughs> our lid a little bit, right? And then we have this really vulnerable piece about needing to feel secure but we're just taking in everything so fast that it's hard to process it. So our perspective, I think, is influenced pretty deep within us by how we're regulating. Yeah, I would agree with that. And especially, you know, we're talking about COVID and mental health, but it's been a big year in other ways as well. Anytime you turn on the news, there's something massive happening, you know, COVID-related, America-related, whatever it is. The news has been a lot. Um, and so it is, I, I am seeing that actually in a lot of my clients as well, where it's either that tunnel vision, where all you're focused on is your immediate suffering, which is too much, we all need a break from that sometimes, or it's the opposite, where you're focused on all the global suffering, and you lose the shades of grey that let us cope most of the time, you know, that the world is not 
all full of suffering all the time. But when the news is as intense as it is, our own experience is as distressing as it can be during COVID, it just, that's where that all or nothing kind of goes. You know, all me, how awful this is, all the world, how awful that is, and really no relief, you know? May, may I ask you both a question about, <clears throat> excuse me, um, when the when the blinders, that's such a, um, a lovely image in terms of like, the horse with the blinders, but then if you if you take them away, um, when for for people when when the blinders are off, and like you both said, like there's beyond the pandemic, it's been there's just been so much this year. So when when someone comes to you and says like it's just it, there's just too much, um, what what do you say to them? Well. We, this might be interesting because Samantha and I might have different ways. I think we're, it sounds like we're, both of us are, you know, really focusing on trauma. So I come from a very, um, bringing the body into the experience with the, with the counseling um, time where people for sure hearing the stories and listening to that, but then kind of bringing them in and finding the sensations and being able to track what is maybe being needed on a, on a deeper level. Um, is generally how I practice, how my practice goes. And I and my work come from more of a cognitive focus, which is more in how we think about things, how we think about the world. Um, All therapy pulls both of these things in together, the thoughts, the body, the behaviors, and different types of therapy have different focuses on things. I work with a lot of um, people who are very much in their heads and and might seek out a more cerebral therapy to start with because they're so disconnected from their body that you almost have to meet them in their head and bring them back down so a lot of the work that I will do is really to validate that there is a lot of negativity out there if you're looking for it but where is your attention going in that you know there's also a lot of beauty in yourself in your sphere in the world but when we're stressed, when, when the body's so activated negatively, we tend to tunnel into the negative and discount anything neutral or positive. And so working with clients to, to fan that back out so that they can not even see things through rosy tinted glasses because sometimes things aren't rosy. You know, sometimes things really are as awful as they seem, but to also make sure we're paying attention to, you know, what we can do, what our values are, making sure we're, we're, we're at least acting in our sphere in a helpful way, taking care of ourselves and our family and, and being aware and compassionate with ourselves that this is a hard thing to go through. So um, all very interconnected, but I, my work tends to start more with the thought processes there. I, I've been accused many times of wearing rose-colored glasses, um, so I can, I, can, I can understand that. Um, I know, Colleen, you and I have talked a, a little bit um, about your, what you do with with the body, and so, like I, I have I have really, um, like I've I've tried to do a lot of yoga during this, and I just I just feel I feel better. I don't know if it's if it's the breath or anything like that, but um, can you talk a little bit in terms of like how how we might feel that that trauma um, within our body, and then like how how do you uh, how do you fix that? Well we usually find resolution through it by things becoming regulated. So our nervous system is, is designed to move between a sympathetic and a parasympathetic or an on or an off, right? So an activated and a rest and digest. <clears throat> um, but sometimes it kind of gets caught a little bit in one pattern. And so we want to just be really curious and open to what maybe feels different than that. Um, so I think just to maybe explain a bit, to kind of 
springboard more with what Samantha was saying is we, there are lots of models or really two primary models with evolution and that's a top-down model which is cerebral and then in and then there's a bottom up or an inside out which is more from that hindbrain out through the limbic and into the cerebral cortex which is where we do our thinking which is why we can use cognitive therapy <laughs> to really be helpful um, and but what we know is that with if that if that inner part isn't present or or doesn't isn't able to move between activation and settling that then our feelings and our thoughts are really influenced because it becomes because that that's just a really organic part right we can influence how we think we can choose to act differently we can make those conscious decisions but this part is really around you know do we yeah do we know that we're safe do we feel that we're safe do we believe that we're safe and that is often tied into attachment either with ourselves or with other people um, so yeah I do a lot of weaving back and forth between story and body um, and you know either people really love it or they're really shocked at it <laughs> because um, when you touch into that you all, all of a sudden you have access to a whole new way of thinking that you actually don't have to work as hard to find that's um that's so it, it, those like those questions that you just asked though like do i feel safe um i think a lot of us had those questions especially early on like just do if i one of my one of the things I'll, I'll never forget is um, like the first couple of weeks that the pandemic started and everything was shutting down, but I was still going into work. Um, and my wife and I, we were living at the time in the exhibition area and I would drive to Sherbrooke, which is um, College Park area. And I, I would drive down 8th Street at like 8.30 in the morning. There was no one, no one there. And I thought, what, like, am I doing, <laughs> am I doing the right thing by going into work? Like, well, I think a funny example in hindsight, I think we can laugh at it, but a really kind of pretty eye-opening moment was the toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. right, there was some... It was so distressing at the time. <laughs> like, but it was like, I just, I was honestly fascinated. I'm thinking maybe food would be the thing to, <laughs> to stock up on. Were you, were you surprised, Sam, by yeah. toilet paper? I was so surprised by the whole thing. You know, I remember, so it was that week in March where our world shut down. I know it had been happening in Hong Kong. We've been seeing this. It had come to Vancouver. My mom had actually visited from Vancouver, and we were talking about her going back, and she bought a spot of hand sanitizer, and I was thinking, like, oh, mom, like, it's not coming to Saskatoon, right? And then she goes back, and it comes the next week. But Monday, COVID wasn't a thing. Tuesday, COVID wasn't a thing. Wednesday, all of a sudden, we have COVID in Saskatoon. Thursday, we're in a full-blown pandemic here. So I shut down my practice that day and moved to working from home, but um, went to the grocery store on my way home, thought, okay, well, if I'm gonna be working from home, I might as well get some things. Produce is good, chip aisles cleared out, you know, <laughs> go find the bread. There is no bread. You go to get some meat in the back. Okay, there's none of that either. And by the time I got to the toilet paper aisle, which was on the other side of the grocery store, like, I was like emotionally just checked out. Like, I, my, my body was going through the motions, but I was like, no, I just can't even process this. I just have to grab what I can and go to my safe place, which was my house at that time, right? Like, active therapist 
totally panicking <laughs> because our safety was actually threatened at that time, right? That was, now I'm thinking of it, it is, it is a funny story and also that was a very valid response. We knew nothing about COVID at that point. We were in a pandemic and I think the whole city was going through, the whole world was going through that at that point, just wild. Yeah. So I think it's just that, that that is a really prime example as to how our nervous system, if it's dysregulated, we're actually not maybe thinking in our most executive, we don't maybe have access to our executive thinking, right? So, you know, it's like kind of orienting and recognizing like where is safety and am I okay and what can I do to be okay? And then it's like, oh yeah, now I can start thinking about like, Right, I, you know, I could do this, I could get hands on it. Like, what are some things I can actually do? But when that big um, threat response is happening, the executive thinking goes a little bit like, I don't know where it goes, but it's like, it's like not really accessible, right? You're like kind of reaching for it and being, you know. And so, um, yeah, I think it's interesting because in private practice, um, for sure, like I would yeah, my clientele are like super high functioning people. They don't really, they, if anything, they can problem solve and goal set and challenge all their cognitive thinking better than I can. <laughs> like, they can like dance circles around me on that one, right? But I'm like, okay, so, but what, what's going on inside? Like, what if you just like touch inside? And then I've noticed that to be a big piece when it comes to um, people who maybe have little people in their lives, right? Because it's like, we need to help you get okay so that they can know it's okay. Oh, that's big. Sam, have you seen that too? Especially like if, if, if you do have, I, I, my wife and I don't have kids, but it was like, I, I can't imagine. What, like my, my parents call me and they're like, are, especially in that first, like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine kind of deal. But it's got, oh, it's got to be so hard. Oh, it's so challenging. It's still challenging. You know, I think we're privileged to be in a place where the schools are largely open, which comes with its own concerns. But what I was really seeing in the first days, alongside the the panic of the unknown, because so much of the pandemic was so unknown for those first few months, it wasn't, I would, I would suggest really until midsummer that we started to develop an understanding of best practice and that it actually does work when you when you follow through with hand sanitizing with wearing masks and meeting outdoors numbers can come down as low as 34 in the whole province right like this this is effective um but in the early winter months of last year the people who were trying to figure out how safe they were even in their own home and then also had yeah, little people at home who were pulled from their routine pulled from their social networks parents are worrying about keeping them alive worried about the impact of social deprivation on their children, you know, and it's it's an added stress that um, is still happening for some people. Some people who are immunocompromised and can't send their kids to school, or kids who are immunocompromised have to stay home. Parents who've decided to do homeschooling just for pragmatics or safety. You've got a whole little dynamic that's happening there that that people without little kids maybe aren't understanding in this, so it's a huge stress. Um, may, may I ask you both a personal question? Um, when, when you have someone, especially like, like in, in the midst of a pandemic and, and there's, there's just a lot, there's a lot going on in the world, there's a lot going on in their lives, um, and, they, and you meet them for the first time, um, from, your, from where you're sitting, is it, is it daunting in a way in terms of like, where, where do I begin? 
like how I'm just so curious how you approach how like what are those first steps that you that you do how do you do it because I I would just be so like I don't know where to start (laughs) I usually start with relationship yeah so just getting to know each other hopefully being able to to show and engage in a way that I'm someone safe that this is a safe place um and and yeah getting to understand a bit of their story and you know what what they're experiencing now who's in their life now what was happening in the past for them yeah generally my initial spot is relationship you said that really quick Colleen like it's it just like of course it's relationship hey yeah yeah I, well we're mammals yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of an important part to remember right that um and don't get me wrong, I'm somebody that would like nothing, like I love a really nice calendar with everything really beautifully organized and structured. Sam's <laughs> nodding right now. <laughs> and you know, a really color-coded list, like that is, that is like deeply satisfying to me. But I, you know, speaking of family, I remember, so my, you know, my children are, you know, there's four of them and they're 20 to 26 years old, but I remember having this incredible, like really high-functioning calendar when they were growing up that was everyone had the right color their own color and it all coordinated and then a moment coming and just being like it actually it looks like it should work but it doesn't actually work because every couple of days someone's schedule was being adjusted a practice was being changed or they were sick or a work schedule was being changed or something that I couldn't control would occur and then this perfectly colored calendar was no longer as supportive to me. <laughs> now it was like a problem, right? Either, either my li- the life was a problem or the calendar was a problem. So I don't really know where I was going with that, but I think <laughs> other than just to have a really bold moment of reality, right? That, you know, there's this like we want control and at the same time, there's things that are out of our control. I, I, w- and I, think that's, I think that's true for everyone. I think that's just the consequence of being human. May, may I stick with that for a second? And, and I do want to get to Sam in a second, but both of you, because I think you touched on something really important, which is um, I am finding personally my ability to cope with things has just like gone out the window. And just like the, the tiniest little things will like set me off. And, and I know it's, we're, we're recording this on January 23rd, but my wife said to me today, Eric, we're finally taking the Christmas tree down. It's been two months. And I just like, I was like, what do you mean? No, it's, it's a warm, comforting glow in the evenings. Like, no, you can't take it down. But like, are, am I right in that in terms of we're struggling to cope? Yes, absolutely. My tree was up until the 12th, so I completely understand. This is, I mean, I think when, if you think of it as a glass filling with stress, right, like your, your ability to regulate depends so much on how many stressors you're stacking up. You know, you wake up and you stub your toe, so your glass is filled a little bit. You go downstairs and what you planned for breakfast has gone bad, so you can't have that. You get out, your gas needs car. By the time you get to work, like you're just already halfway up your cup, right? And then we do things to calm it back down. You know, we all have our own individual strategies. Part of therapy is helping people to develop ways to regulate that system so as the cup fills up, you can do things with your body, with your thoughts, with your behaviors to to bring that back down. 
But then all of a sudden, someone fills the cup up with 90% coronavirus, and what do you do with that 10% you're left with, you know? And the longer we go through the pandemic, maybe the less that COVID impacts us, or the more. Some people have direct experience with COVID at this point in the province, family members, members who are in long-term care homes they haven't been able to see for a long time, so that stress is relatively the same as it was at the beginning. For other people, it's kind of come back down to a place of, um, not perfect, but not all that bad either. You know, there are some people who are, dare I say, thriving in this pandemic, despite everything, right? So that cup might be basically empty. So I think that's really personal how it's impacting people. And then the room you have left is just gonna be so much smaller than before a major crisis like this. And so the Christmas tree represents more than a Christmas tree when you only have 5% of your brain left to cope with it, so. <laughs> Was I okay to freak out because of the Christmas tree, Colleen? I think you're okay. How do you, how do you feel inside? <laughs> no, we're not, we're not we're not gonna do this now. Um. listening to episode six, season three of YXC Underground. My name is Eric Anderson and our guests are Samantha Horswell and Colleen McBride. Subscribe for free to YXC Underground on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also stream YXC Underground on Spotify or on the website at yxcunderground.com. And that's where you can find every single episode of the podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and that's where you can see some lovely photos of Samantha and Colleen taken by Saskatoon photographer Molly Shikoski. A big thanks to Rob Romby and his team at Romby Wealth Management Group of RBC Dominion Securities in North Battleford for supporting this episode. And if you know of someone who is making a difference here in Saskatoon, but it's flying under the radar, please let me know. You can send an email to ericandersonyxe at gmail.com or there's a form, a nomination form on the website at yxeunderground.com. So we've covered a lot of ground so far with Samantha and Colleen. It brought me back to those first few days of the pandemic, frantically searching for toilet paper in the grocery store. And I hope you feel better if you're like me, you had a breakdown when the Christmas tree finally came down. I, that, was, that was a hard day. I, I missed the warm, comforting glow of the Christmas tree. In the next part of our conversation, we look at the disconnect in our community between mental health awareness and making resources available to those who need help. Samantha and Colleen also share some wisdom when it comes to taking care of ourselves. We pick up our conversation with Colleen discussing a social media post she had seen from a person that morning that was a good reminder for how we can cope with challenging times. They connected with other people. They, you know, took some time to maybe pamper themselves in some ways. They got out in nature. They you know, kind of maybe touched in a little bit of awareness on what they're actually eating and, you know, how much coffee they're drinking or how much of things. They had an appointment with a counselor. They made sure that they were also getting whatever other health care they needed from their family physician, right? That they weren't running out of their prescriptions. They were still tending to other ailments because I think that's the other thing that we've noticed happening um, is that because COVID has become the primary health care concern that people stop taking care of other parts of their health. So I just, that 
so you know how you cope I think you look for areas that bring you some pleasure and you deal with some of the problems you know it kind of maybe head on or maybe sometimes you say you know what actually that problem's going to have to wait until a couple months like I'm not going to be able to solve that one right now and you're you give yourself permission to just table it right that you can kind of you know something that I tend to do is I tend to chunk things down it's like that's too big I that's a big you know that's a big problem but what what part can I do now and know that there'll be time later to do something more of it. Is that hard for some people though to to say you know what it's okay that I'm not going to deal with this now and I'll, I'll maybe deal with it a bit later because right now I'm like is is that hard for yeah I think we like this is probably showing the tricky underside of the society that we live in that encourage us to be productive and perfect and on our game all the time you know to be to have the perfect social media feed and to have dinner on the table at a certain time and also to have a business and a side hustle and to be seeing all your friends at all the right times. Um, when you have a culture like that, a lot of that activity is paused with COVID, but the pressure on yourself doesn't pause. It carries through, you know? So you've got someone who comes into therapy feeling like they're failing the pandemic because they haven't managed to keep happy during this time because their kids had peanut butter and toast last night instead of a full meal and their side hustle isn't doing very good even though their full-time job is like healthcare. You know, so it's, it's a lot about helping people to work to understand that sometimes survival is actually more than we think that it is. Sometimes survival is not just good enough, but literally all that we need to be doing. And that in itself is rewarding to survive through something like this. And survival looks like so such different things for different people. It looks like, you know, giving yourself permission to say no to a family Zoom call when you've had nine Zoom calls that day and reschedule for some day when you're not so tapped out. You know, it looks like taking time to sit with a cup of tea for five minutes in the morning. You know, little tiny things that really help to make us feel like we're prioritizing ourselves. The cup of tea becomes more than a cup of tea when when it's the only thing that you can give yourself that day, right? So there's there's something about taking those little tiny things that help regulate our, our body state, but also feel self-compassionate to do in this time. Would you like to build off of that? Uh, I think the compassion piece that, um, I think because even though we've all had very individual and unique experiences with COVID and the pandemic based on what we have access to or what our needs are, what our demands are, at the same time, it also is something that has affected everyone. So I think we've actually been able to tap into a bit more compassion with other people that maybe we weren't seeing as prevalently before, right? Before we were kind of holding people to some pretty high standards, you know, whether we, you know, whether they were our neighbors or our, you know, businesses or our family members, right? We had like lots of expectations on other people, but now because we're all had this experience and we have an understanding of how we all can feel pretty poor sometimes and pretty lonely sometimes and pretty challenged at sometimes I think we're recognizing that that's that we can we're more relatable and we can, other people are more relatable to us and I think we've actually one of one piece is that we've found a lot more compassion and understanding towards 
you know, hopefully ourselves, but really also towards other people. I find that so interesting because I one of the things I found at work is that uh, we, we have about, I mean, between 25 and 30 managers, and we're a pretty big managerial team. And I think what this pandemic has done for us working in a long-term care setting is that it's brought us closer together. And perhaps I hadn't thought of it that way, but we're all going through the same thing together. and We all bring different skills, but it's all around the same yeah, that's really interesting, and 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 showing compassion for one another because we're all going through the same thing. Yeah. So the more awareness we have of ourselves means I can now have more awareness of you. You two are smart. This is I'm learning so much from you. I really am. Um, you, um, Sam, you were just mentioning. Um, taking some time to, for some people, it might be, um, you know, enjoying a cup of tea for five minutes and, and, but that five minutes means, means a lot, a lot more, um, to you. But, um, you know, we were, we were, t- we, and I, I, I saw you give a, a look cause I know, um, access to resources is, is important. Um, do we, do we have, do, do people in Saskatoon, do they have enough, I would say easy access to resources? Um, and if and if not, why, why? Gosh, that's a big question in general. I feel like, so I am relatively early career. I've been working in Saskatoon for just over three and a half years. Um, and it's been interesting. I've been in private practice this whole time. So like Colleen, a lot of my clients are very high functioning, know how to find resources for themselves, um, are able to cope with a two or three month wait list until someone can get them in to be seen. I think for... For people who are um, managing, let's put it that way, for people who are able to go to their job every day, who probably aren't really loving life right now, but are still able to do the day-to-day grind, there are resources if you're in a place that you can wait. You know, there's there's private therapy, although the wait list is a little longer than it used to be. There's, there's support groups. There's things like the online therapy program at the University of Regina that's free. You know, there are things that you can find. What I think is worrisome in the pandemic is the people who were barely managing before this started, or the people who were managing but then lost their job as a result of COVID and potentially haven't even gotten it back yet. Um, People who, private therapy is an extreme financial investment and many people can't afford that or don't have good insurance to support it. And our public healthcare system is incredibly taxed. So I think there's, again, a bit of a polarization that's happening where the people who were able to jump into resources early on have have the the means to continue seeing the resources throughout the pandemic. Um, That's good, but that's probably quite a small slice of Saskatoon. And people who had limited access to resources in the first place or whose resources were pulled away for financial reasons or because people got too busy, um, that's a huge problem right now in town. Colleen, what do you think in terms of access to resources? Yeah, I would agree with everything Samantha said. And then also that I think we've also, our population of people who need access has also increased, right? Because people have lost jobs and people, you know, we don't have access to, say, childcare the way we used to do in order to go to work. So I think that that has also tipped the scales in the sense that we're not maybe realizing that our need for resources has increased and we also, I would say, due to the pandemic, aren't able or weren't able or maybe are struggling at being able to find ways to offer more resources. Um, even if I go to like, <clears throat> back, you know, say maybe to education and healthcare, you know, 
surgery times were cut, so that's harder to get, right? Healthcare needs met that way. Um, access to resources, if you think about, um, you know, our elderly population who are maybe in long-term care homes or even palliating, right? How do you get, how do you have people surrounding, you know, connected and surrounding you so you're not lonely? So those are resources too. Like, so I, yeah, I think we have, I think we have a struggle and I wish I had the answer. But do you, sometimes I feel like there's a bit of a, of a disconnect um, and not, not just like within our city and province, but I, I would say Canada too, in terms of, I, I feel like there is more, I think we're getting better in terms of the mental health awareness, but then there's like, it's one thing to be aware of it, but then the, the resources aren't there. Do, do you feel that there's a disconnect of it? Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would say there is even, you know, I can think of say um, colleagues or friends who are, you know, social workers in public, say in public health care, and you know, as well as, you know, physicians or nurses or physiotherapists or speech and language, like how to get the right service at the right time to the right people is a challenge. And then another thing that complicates that with mental health too, to go back to Colleen's beautiful point that this is about the relationship, it is, therapy isn't one size fits all. So even if you're in a position to be able to, to know that you're having a mental health problem, to be aware that there is a way to deal with that, to have, frankly, like the mental space to find a therapist. Sometimes it requires a little bit of shopping to find someone that you click with if you're in the position to do that. So even in terms of how we would normally advise people to go about treating their mental health, COVID makes it so much more challenging because there's, there's a lot more barriers between um, the person who is struggling and therapy that might help them to cope with their struggling better. Internal barriers in terms of awareness, family acceptance of therapy, whether you have the time and the financial resources, external barriers like how long our wait lists are, what the public resources are. Um, and then that therapist fit, even if you overcome all that, those obstacles, you still have to have that good relationship. And I mean, our job is to try and make relationships work as much as possible whenever we can. But the reality is that there will be someone who um, does better with Colleen or with me and that's not anything about us as therapists just about that relationship that that click and so that's a, that's a factor I'm really struggling with someone will like throw themselves over all these obstacles find a therapist and then the click isn't there and you've just used up all your energy to get there and so that's a real challenge I think too something that I think will get better and has gotten better with telehealth access as well but there's so many levels to people seeking resources that I honestly think we need more people who are helping advocate for resources, like helping bridge people who need the resources to the resources that are available, walking that path with them so that when someone starts to shut down because an obstacle feels too big, then the person can be like, okay, I got this one, I'll call you back in two days with options. You know, we have that in other types of um, public systems, but um, less so I find with mental health in general. That's, I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, you're so right, because if, if someone's like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to do this, and then they, they do hit a stumbling block, and then it's like, no, I'm, I'm just, you sort of need that, you need support on your way to get the support. It makes me think of having professionals that are allies, right? So that professionals that are in contact with people in service, recognizing 
when people would, when therapy or, or counseling would be really helpful for people and then helping them to get there, right? As opposed to overlooking what mental health looks like or overlooking what trauma looks like or overlooking and not seeing it, right? Being able to, for those professionals to be allies to mental health and saying, you know, I, this isn't really my area, but I think this, you know, I've experienced that or I can, you know, I've seen other people who have that. And these are times when people really find it helpful to, to work with a professional counselor or therapist. You're listening to Episode 6, Season 3 of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. Do you remember the question I asked at the start of this episode? How are you doing? I have no doubt Samantha and Colleen have asked that question hundreds of times this past year to their clients, their friends, and their families. But has anyone asked them how they are doing? final part of our conversation, we look at how they have managed to balance personal and professional life. And if it's okay for clients to ask, how are you doing? So I started by asking Colleen, how are you doing? Well, you could probably get a different answer from me depending on which day you ask that. <laughs> so, so, so I'll own that part first. <laughs> um, and then I guess what I could explain it for myself is that I would say generally I'm a bit more of an introvert so having um, a bit more quiet time has been a helpful thing for me Um, the other piece to it is that I would say you know as as a whole family we are you know very firmly rooted in the launching phase and the young adult children phase so that was really been actually quite supportive because you know, there's recognizing as a parent that, like, you need to kind of let kids be adults, right? Like, just because they're your kid doesn't mean they're children. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I didn't have the demands of figuring out how to do, you know, child rearing, child, you know, parenting, those family supper, you know, and snacks and bedtimes on top of a work day. Um, so I think those have been things that I recognize have been pretty lucky on my end because that was just chance, right? Um, for me, I would say one of the challenges would have was around getting a little bit of access to um, other healthcare needs that you know that I had going on at the time. But you know that was just something that I think was a stressor, but then also you know had some pretty good doctors and that was helpful too so that would be the stress um so a bit of the quiet was nice a bit of the slow was nice trying to get other healthcare needs met was a bit of a challenge not having to manage the multiple demands of different 
um, things with family at one time because you know not having little children was nice but then there's the worry about you know are your adult children actually okay because then there's the financial you know for young adults at this time who are maybe just getting settled into their finances or into their income or having university moved online and you know not being able to socialize when that's really what that life stage is about you know so there was like that worry part so I just say it was a pretty good mix of it was a pretty good mix. It was kind of like a garden salad. <laughs> I, I, parts I like, parts I don't like. <laughs> pick off the tomatoes and then just go. I appreciate your honesty, Colleen. Um, Sam, how are, how are you doing? It's been a year. It's been a wild year. You know, it's interesting because... Um, so, so I live here with my husband, who just finished his PhD. And so this was supposed to be our year of, like, globetrotting enjoying both being done school for the very first time all of those wonderful things and so we had plans to go to Europe in July and March happens and we're like well maybe it'll be done by July and then April happens and we're like well maybe we just won't book our tickets and see and then May happens and it's like done so there was a lot of initial like fear a lot of initial disappointment a lot of initial loss that happened um really in the grand scheme of things I wouldn't call it consequential loss but but it's still nevertheless very real to have all of the things that you planned for your life at this point ripped away from you with absolutely no control at all um, and then on the other hand I have these very fond memories of both of us working for home for a couple months and and getting really invested in like going for walks after work as a fake commute you know you end your day and you go for a 20-minute walk and it we we were doing it together and we created a really silly sticker chart to exercise and give ourselves a sticker afterwards and that sticker became more than just a sticker you know it was a real reward but so what this year has done for me has really I think been important in helping me to be more than one thing at once to be disappointed and grateful at the very same time and not try to get rid of either feeling because I, I am a big feeler as a person I have I've always had big feelings but they tend to be like I throw myself into whatever feeling it is you know and so for this year to just sit with the dichotomy of all the things I'm going through even now like so so grateful for all the things that I do have and so so disappointed I haven't seen my family in 18 months some of them you know a year some of them I'm in the same situation you are that way so so grateful for connecting with more family than I probably would have on Christmas Day over Zoom. Like I saw people I wouldn't have normally seen that day because we made space for it on Zoom. And so sad I wasn't there Christmas morning at the same time. And trying not to minimize one or the other um, made so much easier the more I exercise. And of course winter, winter doesn't help with that. But you know, it's one of those things where I don't know, it's been a real teaching moment for me as a person, which I think is a teaching moment for me as a therapist too. You know, it's something, it's practicing what I preach. I work with clients to do that very thing all the time, but this is the first real pressure point for me as a human being to do that too. Is it is it hard sometimes because because you are, um, to sort of practice what, what you preach, is that hard sometimes as a, as a counselor, as a therapist? Um, yeah, I think, right, there's, you know, I think it's hard sometimes and I also think it's a real motivating factor, right? To be able to know that you can only help someone as much as you've actually helped and experienced yourself. So, you know, and you have kind of that awareness that, you know, if, if being genuine and being able to really speak to something from a place of 
truth and understanding, then it's okay to swim in that pool for a little bit. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, it's interesting because there's a lot of research, even with trauma therapy, which is a fairly specialized therapy type, there's still a lot of research out there that a well-trained PhD student does just as good a job as a 20-year vet in the field. You know, there's something, and I think it comes down to that relationship. If you've got a person who's good at building relationships, then, then the what of what therapy is can, there's some flexibility in there. Um, and so I had come into this career with the understanding that it's interesting in trauma therapy, I will never experience 90, 95% of what my clients bring to me because trauma is so unique, especially because I happen to work with first responders and healthcare professionals. I've not ever been a cop, I will never be a cop, I don't know what they experience in their lives, I've never seen it with my own eyes. And so I came into this career with an understanding that the empathy had to surpass the fact that I would never live what they lived. And then here we are living the same thing, you know? Their pandemic started the same day mine did. You know, it's they started working from home, some of them, the very same day I did. And so it it changes the dynamic of therapy that way. All of a sudden, something that we we work to keep in a professional frame. You know, you don't need to worry about me. My job is to help you. You know, I can tell you a few things about my life just to help that relationship. But 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 Sam as a human being is not someone you need to carry for me. You know, I can do that. You need to focus on you. All of a sudden, they're coming into my home office on video therapy going, are you okay? <laughs> this pandemic just kicked in. How are you doing? And the question is very much how you put it. You know, it's genuine. It's not inappropriate. It's, it's, we try and keep really good boundaries in therapy so that we don't put inappropriate pressure on a client. But also, what a lovely question to be asked when you're going through a pandemic for the first time. So, so that, that's okay? Like, you guys felt okay when, because I'm assuming... People have asked you that as well, Colleen. Like, like, like how, how are you doing? Like, it, that's okay from your perspective? I think anything's okay in therapy. Like, again, I think with most things, it's, it's my job to set the boundary around the thing I'm not okay with. So I welcome a lot of questions in therapy, and then hopefully <laughs> I've either done the work to know how I want to answer it or, or I'm able to come up with something on the spot that feels good. You know, at, at first I think it was really important for people to be able to check in and make sure that a, as a human, I'm okay. You know, lots of my clients I've been seeing for months or years, so, so they, they care about me much of the way I care about them. Um, and then also work with them eventually to bring the focus back to themselves. You know, this is still the work that you're doing. It's still on you. I've got my own support network, you know, um, my own team, my own ways of coping with things. And um, I can still take care of me. You can still take care of you. This can still be the same frame, even though we had this very strange shared experience all at the same time. When, when people ask, like maybe in, in, in March or early April and, and they're wondering like, how, how are you doing? Were, were, you, were you surprised by that question at all, Colleen? Or was, it, did, was that okay to hear that question from, from people that you were working with? Yeah, for sure it's okay. You know, it feels nice to hear it to some degree and it feels nice to be able to share it. You know, I think that's that part about having, that we've accessed this ability to have compassion for other people, which maybe and hopefully has helped us to understand boundaries a bit more of like, where do I begin and end? And where do you begin and end? And how do we meet in the middle? And where, where's that, where are those places? Um, and being able to check in and have, you know, and then that models how we can check in with other people right and knowing that sometimes they might say they're not okay and they need time alone or we can say you know what I need to clear my schedule today because I'm actually not going to be able to show up and be present to you and so I want 
to be able to be present. And then that's a modeling of how then to do that. A question I also wanted to ask you too, because I've, I've had, um, throughout the, the couple seasons or three seasons of the podcast, I've had the privilege of speaking with several social workers who, who work, you know, I, I think of someone like uh, Julia Holiday Scott who works with Prey Harm Reduction. And, and when she was telling me about, you know, some of the, the work that she does, um, you know, I asked her, like, how do you, how do you leave work at work? And, and now that you're doing it, like, you know, you're, and you're at home working, but I, is it, how, how are you guys able to, how are you both able to, to leave work at, at work? And is it, is that harder during a pandemic? Yeah. So in, you know, in my home, um, my partner is a physician. So his, you know, when he's not in the hospital or in the clinic, then he's, you know, working from home. I, my office moved to home, you know, my, um, youngest daughter my youngest child is a, my daughter is a university student so she's at home <laughs> so you know we have some moving parts right of you know someone that's going in and out of hospital so we want to be cognizant about how do we help keep things safe enough so that he, that that service can continue without putting the people that he cares for at risk and then you know how does she kind of have a study area and and then the other part is like how do they both get out of the house because I have clients <laughs> Right? So, and how do I get out of the house? Because otherwise you can just be at home all day long, which, you know, is one of those things I have to watch because I actually kind of enjoy being at home. You know, it's nice to be able to, you know, do some work, fold some laundry, (laughs) do some work. But you have to remember, you know, there's a lot of relationship learning about, well, just because I'm here doesn't mean I'm accessible to you. Right? Or... You know, yeah, I just, you know, I'm finishing my day, but we used to have a drive home, you know, that you used to be able to kind of like transition yourself a bit, right? Now it's like you can go right from, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, I can go right from, you know, my professional role over to us, you know, over to the stove or, you know, sitting on the couch. And it's just like that finding those transition points. Um, but it reminds me that we're really all just to my view or my the lens that I see things through is that I'm just actually companioning people I'm not the expert right nobody knows you better than you know yourself so I don't have to really carry all the weight and I also need to check my stuff at the door so yeah um, I was listening to uh, Melinda Melinda Gates yeah. yeah. Bill's wife? Yeah. yeah. And she was talking about when um, doing work in other countries and stuff like that and recognizing that people already have a full cup, right? And you have to see their full cup first and not just think that you're coming in as the expert. So I try to remember that in work and I also really try, not as successfully maybe, but to remember that with my family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do it well, Colleen. I'm sure you do. Um, Sam, are, are, is it challenging to separate work and work and non-work life? Absolutely. You know, it's it's been an interesting um, transition that way. I'm big on sort of symbolic transitions. So I keep my work to one office. I close the door when I'm done the day and leave that office. I'm never in there unless I'm doing work. So I try really hard, fortunate to have a space where I can do that. Um, but 
a lot of what I do with my, so my first responder clients, my police officer clients, military, medical professionals, interestingly, a lot of the work I used to do with them before the pandemic started is how do you leave work at work? You know, like you're driving in the car home, you've got a full house to go home to, and you're thinking about the patient you lost today, or you're thinking about the motor vehicle accident that you responded to today where you couldn't help everybody. You know, you've got this busy brain that's going, going, going. Um, and there's, there's work that's been done out of Calgary um, as part of the, the Wounded Warriors program, which is a, a military program, and they've designed a, a resilience building program as opposed to treating something after it's broken, trying to help people build resilience before the trauma gets under their skin. And so this training that I did is called Before Operational Stress, and it was designed all around little ways to onboard when you're going to work and offboard when you're leaving work. So trying to activate the system to go to work, listen to the rock music on the way to work, like put your hair up when you get to work in the same way. Can, can, I, just, can I just say that there have been so many times where um, when, I, when I'm driving to work and I know it's going to be a challenging day and I, I, cr- I crank like, like some, some loud weird Radiohead song or whatever or, that, or like or Bruce Springsteen and I'm just like, like Thunder Road, yeah. here we go. <laughs> You're activating that nervous system. You are getting yourself ready for your day, right? Um, and then for, for the important piece, I would suggest, because we're all pretty good at hyping ourselves up most of the time, we can make ourselves do the hard thing, is respecting your need to do the other thing on the other end of the day. So, you know, I often make a joke of it, but then people come back and tell me they've done the thing. You know, you go to work and you put on the rock station, you come home, you put on the classical piano. Like, it cannot be the same. It's got to be different for the ritual and the routine of it, but also for the for the activation and deactivation of it. You know, you need different things at different times of your day. I find in therapy, it's almost the opposite. I need to like deactivate coming into therapy, be settled, be centered. So I might need the classical piano at the start of the day and then re-lifting the energy to be part of my family unit. It might look like the trashy pop music to get myself dancing around, you know, to, to get myself ready to cook a meal, participate, ask my husband how his day was to get myself back into myself, you know? And so I think for every person and every career and every home setting, those rituals can be unique, but so important right now as symbolic transitions. I, I, I have just, I've learned so much from the two of you during this conversation. Um, I'm gonna find some Enya so that I can listen to Enya <laughs> on, the, on the way home from work. Well, remember you're going for a haircut. Oh, yeah. I am. Thank you, Colleen. Uh, we are. I don't know how we're doing for time. I've already canceled the. Uh, oh, we got, we got we got loads of time till the haircut. Still, is is there? <laughs> you were funny. Is there is there anything else? Because um, we've we've covered so much ground. Is there anything else that you two wanted to wanted to mention or to bring up or any anything else that you wanted to say? Um, we like, uh, yeah. So I think the thing to, that I want to mention is just recognizing that all of the, this information is going to vary and depend on cultural pieces as well, right? So by, I think it's important to look to you know, your own culture and other people's cultures to learn things that maybe we didn't know before that are possible because otherwise we just keep on recreating the same patterns and that the other pieces that were you know, we all have our own challenges, but we're actually more alike, maybe, than we're not. So remembering that there's things to learn and grow and understand that we don't know, because, and we can get that from each other's cultures, um, and remembering that we're connected in the same. 
That's very nice. I'm glad you mentioned that. Sam, anything else that you wanted to, to bring up or mention at all? I think for me, one of the biggest things I'd like people to check in with themselves about is whether they are at the upper end of their normal stress response. You know, they're experiencing something that they're familiar with and other points of their lives, just perhaps a bit more intense. Um, versus waking up each day and feeling like you don't recognize yourself anymore. You know, maybe you haven't slept last night because you've had nightmares for the first time, or maybe people are telling you that you're too much to handle and your social support network is starting to feel really small, or or feeling like there's no joy in anything anymore. You know, there's there's room to see a counselor at any phase, truly, but, but for some people, and hopefully a relatively small percentage of people, but for some people, a stress and truly a trauma like COVID will trigger a mental health condition that needs to be treated. You know, there, there's, a, there's a, a small but important difference between someone accessing services because they're having a hard time coping and someone accessing services because they have a mental health condition that may not spontaneously go away. It may need to be treated formally. Um, and so, you know, check in with your loved ones, check in with the people that you trust, ask them, do I seem different? Do I seem like I'm not doing okay? And if they come back and say, you know, you seem stressed, but but I think you're doing okay, then that's good to know. But if the person looks relieved that you've asked the question and goes, you do seem really different, like pay close attention to that. Um, this is going to change us all in a lot of ways, but but it shouldn't remove you entirely from your sense of self, you know? So if you're, if you're feeling completely disconnected from who you are, I would really encourage people to look for resources, look for like options for mental health treatment. You know, I plugged the online therapy unit in Regina. It's one of my favorites because it's free for Saskatchewan healthcare residents. I did some training down there and it's really quick to get into. They have six week, 10 week programs. So if you're on a wait list for other mental health resources, it gives you something to start with, to chew on. Yeah, it's based on cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's, it's a good starting point for even just getting some of the language for talking to your next therapist or to say to yourself, okay, well, I am actually looking for something that is more body-based. You know, I am looking for something that's more somatic. I am looking for something that's more about those sorts of connections. Or, oh, hey, this worked really well for me. When I deal with my thought processes, everything else kind of falls into place. So starting with a program like that can't hurt. Um, so just respect where you're at in this journey. It is a journey. It's going to end. It will end one day. But for now, we're all kind of in the middle of it. it I, I feel so fortunate and very privileged to have... Um, to, to have you both here just to ask questions and, and like I said I've I've learned so much for you I can't I can't wait to hear like go back and listen to our interview again because I'm just gonna be like oh my gosh yeah like I, I yeah I just learned very a, a lot from you both in, just in this last hour and four minutes so um I can't thank you enough it's it's so it's yeah I, I and I think people are really going to benefit um from your um from your experiences and your wisdom so thank you both so much thank you Thank you. My thanks to Samantha Horswell and Colleen McBride for sharing their time and wisdom with me on the podcast. I want to mention that Samantha works at Chartier Arnold Shimp and Associates here in Saskatoon, and their website is saskatoonpsychology.ca. Colleen has a private practice called The Practice, and her website is cmcounselingandconsulting.ca, and they are also both on Instagram and are fantastic to follow.
This has been episode six of season three of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local independent podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you just heard, feel free to give the podcast a review and a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe for free to YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also stream YXE Underground on Spotify or at yxeunderground.com. And again, that's where you can find every single episode of the podcast. Follow YXE Underground on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and that's where you will see some wonderful photos of Colleen and Samantha taken by Saskatoon photographer Molly Shikoski. A big thanks to Molly for coming in on short notice to take some really lovely photos. Thank you to Saskatoon's Danger Dynamite for creating the website and making sure it's running smoothly. And a big thank you to Mr. Rob Romby and his team at Romby Wealth Management Group of RBC Dominion Securities in North Battleford for supporting this episode. If you've ever met Rob Romby before, you know he's just one of the most kind, genuine, and, and generous people you will ever meet. Um, Rob, you've you've helped me for many, many, many years um, just in terms of, of overall life wisdom and your you're just one of my favorite people in the whole wide world you and your family and uh, I'm very appreciative to you and your family and uh, and your work family as well in terms of supporting this podcast so Rob thank you very much before I go I would like to acknowledge that this interview was gathered on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis YXE Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company my name is Eric Anderson thank you so much for listening And we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon.